I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. Greetings and welcome to Thoughts from Meharry Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 31 of Thoughts from Meharry Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to tell you how America embraces the very tyranny it fought to reject. Hello, it's good to be back after a week off. I've been traveling for the last couple of weeks. Actually, was down in Florida with my mom. Uh, she had some minor surgery that was very successful. And now I am back in Kentucky behind the microphone. I will have to admit, though, that I'm a little bit fuzzy-headed. I'm pretty much exhausted, to be honest. I spent 12 hours in the car yesterday driving from northern Florida back up to my home. And... Uh, I'm pretty tired. Spent today trying to catch up with all the work that I missed yesterday. So uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different today uh, for the podcast. Actually, the next two weeks are going to be a little bit different. Next week, I'm actually going to have my first guest. And I'm very excited about that. Robert Scott Bell is going to be joining me from a conference in Colorado. And we're going to be discussing what is known as right to try legislation. These are uh, bills that have been passed in about 24 states. And basically, they provide people with terminal illnesses access to experimental medications and treatments that have not been FDA approved. These bills essentially nullify uh, FDA prohibitions on these things and to give patients access to them. So we're going to be talking about that next week. I hope you join us. I think you'll find it very interesting. And Robert Scott Bell is great. He'll provide some really good insights uh, on this issue. So today, I want to take a look at an article that I wrote a couple of weeks ago and published on my website, michaelmeharry.com. This article generated a lot of discussion and, and seemed to really uh, resonate with a lot of people. The title of the article is America Embraces Tyranny It Fought to Reject. Americans fought a long, bloody war to free themselves from a tyrannical government only to eventually embrace the very system they struggled to throw off. Now, that may seem like a stinging indictment, but careful examination of U.S. governance today reveals that it rests on essentially the same philosophical foundation as the 18th century British system Americans rejected. The founding generation developed a brand new conception of government, resting it on the consent of the governed and the idea that governing institutions must operate within constitutional constraints. Today, 
we still see vestiges of those founding ideals in political rhetoric and popular conscience. But the U.S. government long ago threw off all of its constitutional fetters, and it now functions much like the English system Americans fought to free themselves from. In Rights of Man, Thomas Paine captured the essence of American constitutionalism that evolved during the Revolution, characterizing the Pennsylvania Constitution as, quote, a political Bible, unquote. Here's what Thomas Paine wrote. He said, Nothing was more common when any debate rose on the principles of a bill or on the extent of any species of authority than for members to take the printed Constitution out of their pocket and to read the chapter with which such matter in debate was connected. In America, law was king, and Constitution stood as the supreme law of the land. Now, it wasn't that the British system lacked a constitution, but the English conception of its place in the political order was vastly different than the one that was evolving in the American states. In American thought, constitutions remained above the government. They limited the action of every governmental branch, and political systems were subject to words of their constitutions. In short, constitutions stood as the supreme law of the land, and the entire system of government flowed out of them. The Supremacy Clause in the U.S. Constitution captures the essence of American constitutional thought. It says, This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof shall be the supreme law of the land. In the English conception, the Constitution was not a superior law set above the government. In a sense, it was the government. The actions of Parliament, the courts, and the king formed the substance of the Constitution, and they were in no way limited by it. Now, in America, we talk about the sovereignty of the people, but in the British system, the people were not sovereign. Parliament was. In essence, the government itself enjoyed supremacy. As historian Gordon S. Wood put it in The Creation of the American Republic, any limits on Parliament were strictly theoretical even moral and natural law restrictions. Constitutional and legal limits only bound lawmakers as far as the lawmakers were willing to be bound. In other words, they did what they wanted, and if their conscience happened to restrict them, then yay, that was good. But if not, they pretty much could go ahead and do what they wanted. Now, for the Englishman, there was no distinction between the constitution or frame of government and the system of laws. They were one and the same. Every act of Parliament was, in essence, part of the Constitution. Wood quoted Blackstone to make this point. Quote, The English Constitution, therefore, could not be any sort of fundamental law. Most 18th century writers could not conceive of the Constitution as anything anterior and superior to the government in ordinary law, but rather regarded itself as that assemblage of laws, customs, and institutions which formed the general system, according to which the several powers of the state are distributed and their respective rights are secured to the different members of the community. The English Constitution was not, as the Americans eventually came to see with condescension, committed to parchment. In other words, it was flexible. It was what we would call a living, breathing constitution. But the American conception was a constitution committed to parchment. It was permanent. It meant something. It's same thing today as it did yesterday. Wood makes the implication of the British system crystal clear, writing, all law, customary, and statutory was thus constitutional. In other words, in the British system, if the parliament did it, it was constitutional. The parliament could say, 
every Englishman must wear a green hat on Tuesday. Nobody could say that was unconstitutional. In fact, it would become part of the Constitution. In a nutshell, the 18th century British system the Americans went to war to free themselves from rested on a living, breathing constitution. The government itself defined and enforced whatever limits it might have. Essentially, it was unlimited in power and authority. As American political thought evolved, the English system became absurd. Political power was conceived as limited, first by principle and second by the will of the people as expressed through written constitutions. The founding generation believed equity. In other words, justice according to natural law or right, bound and limited all political power. Government served a limited purpose, as Thomas Jefferson put it in the Declaration of Independence, to secure these rights, the rights of life, liberty, and property. So it followed that the people establishing government retained the right and authority to maintain it within those limits. Government was not supreme. It was merely an agent of the people. Written constitutions served a limiting purpose. They provided the political Bible, Paine referred to, specifically circumscribing the scope of governmental power. As Paine put it, a constitution is not the act of government, but of a people constituting a government, and government without a constitution is power without a right. Within this political framework, a sovereign government institution, such as parliament, is fundamentally tyrannical. Even a casual look at American governance today reveals a system having much more in common with the 18th century British model than the one the founding generation forged nearly 250 years ago. America operates under a living, breathing constitution, with the U.S. Supreme Court taking on the role of sovereign. In 1776, the British Parliament acted with absolute sovereign authority. Today, the federal government rules with that same kind of unlimited power. The federal government determines the extent of its own authority through the Supreme Court. Any limits on Congress or the president are merely theoretical, constrained only by the whims of five out of nine politically connected lawyers in black dresses. Every opinion of the Supreme Court becomes part of the fabric of the Constitution. For all practical purposes, the federal government today operates without any limits at all. Everything the federal government does and approves is considered constitutional. Even though the founders committed the U.S. Constitution to parchment, judges, politicians, and academics have morphed the meaning of those words and changed the character of the supreme law of the land into something that the framers and the ratifiers would scarcely recognize. Americans won the revolution, but they squandered the fruits of victory in a quest for government solution to every problem. Instead of a limited government committed to protecting basic rights, life, liberty, and property, we have an institution that attempts to control every aspect of our lives, from the water in our toilets to the kind of light bulbs we screw into our fixtures. We have become what our founding fathers sought to destroy. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. We are another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a favor and spread the word. And make sure you head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that already. Feel free to send me any thoughts or ideas at michael.meharry at 10thamendmentcenter.com. And we'll see you next week with Robert Scott Bell.